probably one of the most challenging jobs that anyone has in their entire lives is parenting. I imagine that's a statement to which most parents would add a hearty amen. And yet, even within the realm of that task, there are some challenges that are more difficult than others. For instance, within the realm of parenting, probably one of the most difficult aspects of parenting is to parent a child who after years of training and teaching has decided to turn their back on the parent's ways and the will of God. How should we deal with such a child? The Scripture does not leave us without advice, without teaching on how to deal with this situation. I believe one of the passages that helps us is the story of the prodigal son found in Luke 15, which we've studied over the past few weeks. And I'd like for us to read this parable again. And this morning, instead of taking a look at the prodigal son or the prodigal's brother, let's take a look at the father. I recognize, of course, that the father in this story represents God, perfect in every way. And because this Father is the perfect Father, I think we can learn from Him in His approach to dealing with this wayward Son. Things that might help us as we take a look at this very difficult, worrisome, and anxious task. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus says, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. In verse 18, he says, I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up in verse 20 and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said in verse 22 to the slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. In verse 28, he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look! For so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, 
You've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Four lessons I believe we can learn from the parable of the prodigal as parents. The very first lesson that we learn here is that we've got to remember that children must make their own decisions and will make their own decisions. The greatest task for any parent is to teach and train up their children. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Scripture says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That guides us. That's our job. That's our goal as parents. To bring our children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. But the day will come when our children will have to make their own decisions. As we look at the parable of the prodigal, we don't see all the years of training and teaching, and we don't know exactly what the father has done. But most certainly, since this father represents God, we know that he trained and he taught his child. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, the Scripture demonstrates that our Father does indeed discipline and train His children. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7, the Hebrew writer says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had early earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Our Father most certainly trains and disciplines his children. But there comes a time when our Father recognizes that He must allow us to make our own choices, and that's exactly what He does. And we as parents will have to do the same thing. Please do not misunderstand. I am not here saying that as parents we just allow our children to go off into anything and everything they want to. It is our responsibility while our children are in our homes to make decisions for them. That's part of the training. But there comes a day in our homes and out of our homes when we have to let go of that. And we have to allow our children to make their own choices. All of their lives we've spent training them for that moment. But in the end, we have to let them make their choice. Whether they'll follow the training they've been given by us or follow some other path. Think about this. If they came along and their only choice was based on, well, this is what mom and dad said, they're walking on shaky ground anyway. We train them. And we have to let them make their choices. As depressing and discouraging a thought as it may be, we've got to come to grips with the fact that there is absolutely nothing that you and I as parents can do that ensures our children will make the right choices and ensures that our children will be saved. In Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. 
the prophet drives home that the righteousness of one person cannot save another person, even if it's a child. In Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14, Ezekiel says, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, by their own righteousness they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. Verse 20 of Ezekiel 14, he repeats it. Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, Ezekiel there said, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. While it's discouraging and depressing at times to realize that we cannot force salvation onto our children, we can at least take comfort in recognizing that it is our child's choice. And we are not judged for the choice our children make. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon Himself. We can't save our kids by our righteousness. And of course, our kids can't save us with their righteousness. But the wickedness of the wicked will be upon Himself. If our children make the wrong choice, that doesn't mean we're condemned. We will be judged based upon our service to God. And when we stand before God in judgment, we will not be judged based on whether or not our children are going to heaven or to hell. We'll be based on how we did our job. We'll be judged based on how we did our job. And if our children are going to hell, it better be in spite of us and not because of us. If they're going to heaven, it better be because of us and not in spite of us but will not be judged based on their choice. And we've got to let them make their choices. That's what our Heavenly Father does with us. We've got to learn to do it with our children. Secondly, secondly, we learn from the prodigal son that we've got to allow our children to learn from the consequences of their own mistakes. I have no doubt in Luke 15 that the father loved his son. His response when the son comes back home demonstrates how much he cared for and loved his son. And yet, notice what this father did when his son went off into the distant country. This father did not follow his son into the distant country to make sure that he might clean up after the messes of this prodigal son. He allowed this son to go off and make his choices, to fail his failures, and then to learn from them. And that's our job as parents. We've got to allow our children to learn from the consequences of their actions, especially those who are prodigal. It's so sad to see parents who are following behind prodigal children, who believe that what they've got to do is go behind them and demonstrate their love by keeping them from having to face the consequences of their sins, by cleaning up the messes that they've created for themselves, thinking that, well, then my child will know I'll love them, and then my child will come back and follow my path. But that's not what the father with the prodigal son did. That's not what our father does. We have to learn from the consequences of our actions. And so do our children. Even if they become prodigal. You can look at the book of Proverbs. What an excellent book Proverbs is, especially for parents. There's so much advice here. 
The entire book is advice to children about how to live. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. Statements like this are made over and over again. In Proverbs 5, 1, the proverbialist wrote, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. It's all about this advice on how to live. And it's a father talking to his children. In verses 3 through 23 in chapter 5, we find examples where the Father provides advice for dealing with, for here are the consequences of sin. Verse 3, the lips of adulteress drip with honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She doesn't ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. And on it goes, telling his son, here are the consequences. Don't follow this path because you'll face consequences. That's the kind of thing that we find in the book of Proverbs. We find in chapter 10 and verse 1 statements that are made. This is repeated in Proverbs as it talks to parents and it says in Proverbs 10.1, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. It tells us how much we want wise children and we don't want foolish children. We can find advice, for instance, in chapter 6 beginning at verse 1 about what a child should do. If he's facing bad consequences, in Proverbs 6, verse 1, My son, if you've become surety for your neighbor, have given pledge for a stranger, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you've come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All kinds of advice here for parents and children. And yet, to my knowledge, not one single time does the writer of Proverbs ever suggest that anyone follow behind their children to take care of their messes for them. Not once. In fact, the one example of advice that we find here in Proverbs chapter 6, what did the father say to the son? Deliver yourself like a gazelle. Let them face the consequences. And yet, it's so regrettable in our society today, we have this idea that we don't love our children if we let them face the consequences of their own actions. We need to be going behind and making sure that we protect them from all of these things. And, and we, they act up in class, we go to the teachers and tell them to leave them alone. They waste their money, and we give them more. They sin, and we tell them it's all the preacher and the elder's fault. So many things. But if we want our children to wise up, we've got to let them learn from the consequences of their own actions. They may not. I know that. But they might. And that's the only way they'll learn. Let them face their consequences. That's what the father of the prodigal son did. We need to do the same thing. The third thing that we learn from this parable of the prodigal is that we need to always maintain hope. How long was the prodigal son living away from his father? I don't know. How many years did the father pray that the son would come back to him? I don't know. But it was for some time. And yet this father maintained hope. I know it's possible that this father in Luke chapter 15 simply saw his son afar off because he was just out on the front porch reading the paper and looked up and there he was. Sure, that's possible. I prefer to believe, however, that he saw him because he had been looking for his son. 
But whatever the father in the parable was doing, I know from the context of this chapter in Luke chapter 15, the other two parables that go along with this of the woman who's searching diligently for the lost coin and the shepherd who is searching diligently for the lost sheep that our Father searches for us. Our Father maintains that diligent search for His lost children. And what that translates to for us is maintaining the hope. Our children may have turned their backs on what we've taught them. They may have turned their backs on the will of God. But we can always maintain the hope that they will return. We can always pray. We can always teach. We can always model and exemplify God's will. And we can maintain that hope that they will come back one day. Consider Jochebed. If you look in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, remember Moses. She put him in the little basket covered with tar and pitch and set him in the river and the daughter of Pharaoh comes. And in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 2, when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying. She had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Then the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. This process of nursing the child here at this time took two, three years, sometimes longer. Can you imagine the amount of time that Jacobet and Amram spent with Moses, knowing they only had a couple of years, trying to let him know who he was, what his heritage was. Trying to prepare him for the indoctrination he would receive for the rest of his life as he was taken into the Egyptian palace and taught there. Can you imagine after he was gone, the kind of prayers and pleading that Jacobet and Amram offered up to God that Moses would remember who he was? And how he was supposed to live, not as an Egyptian, but as a child of God, one of the chosen people, a Jew. How long did they say those prayers? Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. In Hebrews 11 and verse 24, the Hebrew writer says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. When he was grown up, he was grown up before he decided to make this choice. Before he came back to his heritage and chose not to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But look in Acts chapter 7 and verse 23 because it provides a little more specific information. In Acts 7 and verse 23, but when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. Forty. If Jacobet and Amram were still alive, we're talking 35 to 37 years of waiting for Moses to realize who he was supposed to be. We've got to maintain that kind of hope. Just like the prodigal's father. Because our children may return. 
And we need to look for that. It's too easy to become discouraged and despair and distraught and give up hope. And then to turn to ourselves and become discouraged and distraught with ourselves. Maintain the hope. I can provide anecdotal evidence by looking at my own family. My grandparents raised four children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Teaching them and training them in the way of God, three of them fell away. And it took more than 20 years, but two of them returned. And because those two returned from the distant country, they are now grandchildren that were being raised in that distant country that have been brought back to the Father and to His will. And one of them is standing before you right now. We know that there's still the one who is out in the distant country. But we've learned from the other two that there's hope for him as well. And we continue to maintain hope that he'll repent. But what's the point? The point is never lose hope. Our children make their own choices. And they may not be making the right choices now. But our God is a loving and patient God and will give them time to repent. I can't guarantee you that your children will. But maintain that hope. Because that will lead us to the fourth lesson. That we need to rejoice and accept them when they repent and return. Sometimes when our children become prodigal and they turn away from the will of God, they do things that drive wedges in our relationships. And they cause problems such that when they do repent and they do return... We have a hard time enfolding them and accepting them back because the hurt runs so deep. One of the awful things for a child is to strive to do what is right, only to find out that even when they do what is right, it's not right enough for their parents. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 speaks of this. In Colossians chapter 3, And verse 21, Paul said, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. The exasperation here in the losing heart is the idea of parents being so hard on their children that the children can't do anything right. And what does that cause? That causes them to lose heart, to be exasperated to be overwhelmed, distraught, discouraged, fall away. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We find the same kind of thing in the church setting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, Paul was writing to the Corinthians about the man he had mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5. Remember the one who had been committing immorality with his stepmother? And Paul had talked to them about the discipline that they needed to take with him. And now it seems that he's repented. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says, But if any has caused sorrow, he's caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much, to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Here is the sinner that caused such problem in Corinth. And he said, this guy's repented now. Forgive him. Comfort him. 
Reaffirm your love to Him. Otherwise, they'll be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. And they might just go ahead and turn back to sin. The prodigal son had done some terrible things. He'd driven a wedge between himself and his brother. But remember, the father had the proper perspective. And when the son came back to him, what did the father do? He ran to him and he had compassion on him. And he welcomed him back. He dressed him in a fine robe and put on a fine ring. And then he rejoiced. When our children repent and return, we need to rejoice. Not punish. We need to accept. Not hold at arm's length just to make sure they're being serious about it. And when I'm saying this, I'm speaking about spiritual acceptance. I'm not talking about living arrangements and those sort of things, though sometimes that might be entailed. But when our children repent and return, we need to accept them. And we need to rejoice. Because our child was dead, is now alive. Lost, and now found. How amazing is that? Parenting a prodigal. Difficult job. And my hope is that none of us ever have to face that, and yet I know that some of us already do. But if you're ever faced with that situation, remember the prodigal's father. And remember the lessons we can learn from them. Our children have to make their own choices. We need to let them learn from the consequences of their own choices. We can always maintain hope. And if they return, rejoice with them and accept them back into the fold. 